0: This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. This episode contains explicit language. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Thank you all for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. I am so excited for today's show. Those of you who have been listeners for a while now know that in December, I have very special guests on the show each week to discuss something that we've been covering or following or watching. So today I'd like to welcome my very first special guest, Mr. Bob Ruff, the incomparable host of such podcasts as Truth and Justice (laughs) and True Crime Binge. Hey, Bob. Hey, Esther. How are you? I'm good. First question, am I the first person to call you Mr. Bob Ruff?
0: (laughs) Um, Probably, yeah. (laughs) Definitely nobody around here would call me that.
1: Yeah, it it felt even weird just, uh, you know, saying it. So I thought (laughs) I should ask. So you yeah. all might not know this, but Bob and I have spent some time together at CrimeCon and we did the Gen Y live stream event just a few months ago in Kansas City. And I think that we've also both learned that when we're together, there's really no telling what's gonna come out of our mouth. Well, especially Bob's mouth. You never know <laughs> what's gonna come out.
0: <laughs> I like how you set that up like you were part of it. And But no, actually, just Bob yeah. just says random stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. Say.
1: I can definitely, you know, go with the flow. And if somebody gets me going, I'll, I'll join right in. So, yeah. that's what, So it is all you, Bob. It's, yeah. Usually I'm fine. <laughs>
2: right.
0: Listen, that Gen Y situation was not my fault. They told me five minutes before I went on stage that I was supposed to be emceeing or whatever.
1: Really? Section. And you yeah. had you had probably I had about what I was there. six or eight drinks before then,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, I was I was having a good time, and so was everybody except that one lady in the front row,
1: <laughs> who gave you the dirty looks or something. Was that? <laughs>
0: uh, I, she didn't like my jokes. She and she and she shouted that as loud as she could.
1: <laughs> oh, I'll have to go back and watch that again because uh, I I missed that. Oh God, that's hilarious! Oh
2: my gosh, that's why the whole. <laughs> Uh, show like shifted <laughs> right <laughs> the guys were just cracking up having so was the crowd and then all of a sudden that woman shouted it out because it was very loud
0: <laughs> yeah 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 less less uh less jokes and more crime yeah and then yeah. it got really awkward and so we started talking about crime which is very boring <laughs> compared to what was going on
1: <laughs> so you guys might have recognized that voice i was just about to introduce her and because i haven't done that yet that was Lorena, and uh, she is my wonderful assistant, my ride or die. L- Good morning, Lorena.
2: <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah. It's
0: my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me.
1: Lorena's here to keep us on track. Okay, Bob. <laughs>
0: yes. That's what you said when we were in Kansas City, and then she was the one oh, yeah. with the Speaking double fist and <laughs> drinks.
2: She some, she's got a bone what to pick listening? with you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was on my way to the gym, and I was like, oh, let me turn on the... Uh, True crime, uh, true crime binge episode with Esther, and I was like, I love how in the first five minutes Bob tries to call me out for shoving drinks down his throat. I was like, that was <laughs> not me. <laughs> she texted me. I was it. like, Bob blaming me? Yeah, right. She's like,
1: Bob, <laughs> Bob threw me under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I for well.
0: not being there to defend yourself. <laughs>
1: right. True. Yeah, that is your fault. <laughs> Okay, so today, though, we're going to discuss, uh, to me, a really fascinating case that I learned about several years ago. Some of you who know my sister, Yolanda, know that she had a podcast uh, for a while. It's on hiatus now, but she covered the story because her podcast, she was doing it with her husband, and he was a big sports fan. And so they would usually pick cases that were had something to do with with sports, um, and this was one one of them. So I hadn't ne- really heard of it. I think I had heard maybe the headlines or something, and I'm like, what the heck? And I didn't really follow it until I heard her episode of, of this, this story. Um, but now the story has made a, uh, recently made a resurgence on Netflix because a docuseries came out, actually, that's called Untold. And the episode that we're going to discuss is the double episode called The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. And it's the story of football player Manti Teo, who was a celebrated linebacker who played for Notre Dame. And then he played for the San Diego Chargers and later on the New Orleans Saints briefly. But if you've ever heard the name Manti Teo, it's probably in reference to this case. It's one of the most covered, you know, the, the biggest kind of blown up story about catfishing incidents on record. I guess first, maybe Lorna, we just want to say
2: briefly what catfishing is. Did you want to? Sure. So catfishing essentially is, and note that this case, it all blew up before catfishing was even a thing, um, before the show Catfish even came out. So catfishing um, essentially is when somebody makes a fake online profile uh, with real photos of a, a real person um, uses a fake name um, and just creates this fictional persona um, to gain either money, love interest, um, revenge. A few of the episodes that I've watched on catfishing is for revenge. And they really trick these people into believing that they are the person that they are saying online, who they are online. And Nine out of ten times, it's not the real person. Some people can get really affected by this. For example, Manti his entire will come to find out that his entire career was affected because of this catfishing scandal. Yeah,
1: and and the catfishing when when they're doing this, when they're connecting with this person as this fake persona, it's for for a relationship. It really goes to relationship, like like a deep, like a romantic relationship. Most time, that's the way we mostly understand it is, is a romantic relationship. So, so yeah, it started in two thousand and nine. Um, so in two thousand and nine, Manti Te'o was then a freshman at Notre Dame, and he began a friendship over Facebook with a woman named Lene Kakua. So it turned out, it this turned into a long distance romance that lasted for about three years. But the couple never met face-to-face. And that's another thing about catfishing that we'll, we'll learn about. Um, and Lene, we'll find out, was hiding a very big secret. Now, do we want to say right now, like, everything, like, just put it out there? If we want to just let the cat out of the bag or we want to... <laughs> yeah. wanna... I think Did the title want...
0: of the docuseries kind of lets <laughs> yeah. the cat out of the bag, doesn't it? Well, yes, it? But, yeah.
1: there's, but, there, but there's <laughs> elements to it that are also mm-hmm. more interesting mm-hmm. than even that,
2: right? did you watch the series,
0: bob i did yeah and and I, and I don't know when you guys picked this did you did you do it on purpose knowing that well we talked I about
2: live... this in
1: kansas city well, maybe you that's don't remember, what i was gonna ask but... you because <laughs> I, was, I was gonna ask you that like i don't even know because okay here's what happened this is the only thing i know um is that when we went to kansas city loretta and i rented an airbnb and we're hanging out there the first night you know it's really nice living room. It's got Netflix. It's got everything right. And, and having drinks or whatever. And, um, and she said, Oh, have you watched, have you seen this show? I'm told about this. And she told me it was the manti case. I said, Oh, I know. Uh, I kind of remember that case. So we watched it and I thought it was great. I mean, we just kind of just got into it. So then when we got back and she said she had talked to you about doing something together because we're, we're planning the December um, episodes. And she said, "Oh yeah, I told, talked to Bob about doing the Manti Te'o case." So I wondered—I had no idea. I never did ask why yeah. you talked well, to no, him about this. Well, Bob case. and I were
2: chatting, and he was like, "Oh, I went to Notre Dame," and I was like, "Oh, do you know about Manti Teo? And then you and I kind of had a conversation about how yeah, football is. You know everything.
0: Yeah, so I didn't go to school there. See, oh, you it was, didn't. It was Sorry. Lorena that that Lorena that had too many drinks.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Now we're getting the <laughs> no, true story. I, this is
2: right. <laughs> the, the truth comes
0: out. I live. I thought about going with it for a minute. I'm like, I could do it. Put in University of Notre Dame graduate on my resume. Let's do it. Um, but no, I live five minutes from Notre Dame's campus. Oh, Okay. okay. Like like literally, I, I can you know on a clear day can see the Golden Dome from my from my backyard. Wow. Um, so that, so, and I've always been a big Notre Dame fan growing up right here. So I live in Michigan, but just barely over the border. So I was like very intimately following that season and Manti Teo's football career when all of this happened.
1: Anyway, that's how that came about. Apparently
2: (laughs) none of
0: (laughs) us thought that I went to college at Notre Dame.
2: (laughs) Okay. Notre Dame was brought up and then whether I went there, I live close to there. I was like, Oh, perfect. He'll know about. You know the culture and how everything—not yeah. necessarily unfolded, but just really kind of give insight of you know. Do you remember press conferences and like even just oh, like yeah. news headlines at the time? I'm sure they were you you know the local newspapers and stuff were probably. It
0: was awful. It was yeah. it was, um, you know, at first nobody felt bad for Bantai Teo because exactly. the way it was presented at first was that. He was pulling a fast one over, like like trying to get sympathy because you know his his grandmother had had passed away, and then you know and then he talked about in this you know press conference before the game that uh, his girlfriend had also passed away, and then we find out she didn't exist, and the immediate reaction was he's scamming everyone, mm-hmm. like he's trying to get sympathy by telling us that this woman that did it wasn't until quite a little while later the way i remember it before i realized like oh no he really believed that he was being scammed mm-hmm. but then as as you see in the docu series you know that turns into oh well so he's an idiot and and it yeah. kind of ruined not just i mean I, he didn't let it ruin his life but it 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 definitely changed his life
2: right mm-hmm. so, it completely changed the trajectory of his career and yeah his who knows like where he would have been um as far as if he would have won the Heisman and yeah. So, so the, I, I had real actual feelings about this,
1: you know, not even just thoughts when I was watching it. And like I said, I watched it in Kansas City and then watched it again. Um and there's 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 some things here. I like the way and I wanted to talk about this generally for about the documentary, generally the way they put it together before we get into the details. But I thought they did a really good job of the way that they presented it because they had the person who was doing the catfishing and then they had Manti Teo and they had his family and they had, you know, the coaches and, and some of his friends and other people who were involved in the story. And they did it around interviews um, of them telling the story. Now, this is updated because the this happened from 2009 to 2012 um, is when all this took place. Uh, I believe it 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. Um, and so this documentary just came out this year in August. So Mm -hmm. now they kind of updated kind of what's happened, but they really kind of stuck to the story from the beginning, like who he was and how this unfolded and, and all of that. But I thought they did a good job of it. But I think what they did though, is they let everybody tell the story in their own way. And what that afforded the viewer, I think is that you could look at these people, listen to what they had to say about it, Get a sense of who they were or who they are now and then decide for yourself. What do you think about these people? Mm -hmm. Because they didn't tell you how to think about either the, you know, the the perpetrator of the hoax or Manti um, or his family. But I have thoughts and feelings about all of them. So, so th- what did yeah. you guys yeah. kind of take away from just generally from the documentary?
2: Um, I agree with you, Esther, that they did such a great job, especially with all the interviews and how many people they interviewed. I mean, for me, I've got the football team just like really. I can only imagine the amount of stress he was under. But yeah, even the football coaches, when everything came out, um, the director that they were interviewing, they're like, "We can't have this kind of stuff come out." He was the perfect picture athlete that notre dame wanted at the time he was into his faith he was a great student family leadership everything that they wanted and for something like this to come out like the as soon as it came out it was yes they supported him and stuff but they were trying to get a hold of it before it became this big thing and unfortunately it did become a big thing um and i can only imagine how lonely he must have felt one his grandmother passed away. Now he thinks his girlfriend passed away. He doesn't even know if the girlfriend exists. Like I can't, I can only imagine the severity of like how he felt. <laughs> That's what like really got to me.
0: I, I'm glad that the documentary was made because, you know, it, it came and went he was the butt of jokes nationwide, worldwide, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I was glad that we got to actually hear and from the perpetrator of the hoax, what happened and how elaborate that it was and he wasn't just some idiot who got, he was, he was, you know, he was, he was just a trust. He was too trusting and he got, he got sucked into this thing. I felt that though they didn't, they didn't tell you how to think, but I was, I found myself as a, as a quasi journalist when the, and forget, I can't remember the name of the, um, the woman that, that, that was the catfisher,
1: Rania. um, mm-hmm.
0: Renaya, Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I can't, but like, will somebody ask her, like, how do you like ask her some hard questions? Like, how do you like, it it felt like, like when I'm supposed because you know, she was going through this, um, gender identity, identity, uh, kind of crisis, I guess for herself. And then, and then she, she found herself now in the, in the trans community and that's all great. I'm glad that happened, but it was like, no, that you're still a horrible, rotten person. Like. <laughs> Like, that's not like, like I'm here for you. I'm here to like, like support and help in your transition and all these things. But that doesn't give you the right to destroy somebody's fucking life like you did. And so I felt like, and I guess you're right, Esther, that they didn't really tell you how to think. But I had this kind of overwhelming feeling like, no, no, are we, are you trying to get us to give her a pass? Because what she did was horrible. It was, it was, it was horrible and it was deliberate and it was, it, and just, yeah, I, that, that part bothered me a little bit, but I was glad to see Manti Teo like have his chance to give his side of the story because like, like you said, Lorena, he was not only like the perfect like Notre Dame athlete, but he was a bad MF too. Like, like, <laughs> I mean, this guy would have been in a first round draft pick for millions of dollars. He was, in my opinion, the best linebacker in college football. That year, I mean, he was unstoppable. He was just a beast. And then because of this, and it almost makes it makes me mad at like these NFL teams, like really, like why would you take because this happened to him? You you passed up on an incredible athlete that could have been an, uh, an asset because you didn't want to deal with the drama or whatever it was. Like I don't know, it was it, that it was frustrating that that happened to him.
1: Yeah, you're yeah, right. And that's that's, and that's, that's, two, two, that's a couple of things that I definitely wanted to, to. Both two of those, both of those points were things that I wanted to bring up. So. Mantai um is Polynesian, um, and he was born in Hawaii. So he was born in a little tiny place called Laia I think it's Laia. I think that's how you say it. It's um, near. It's on the island of Oahu. So, and they talk about this that it's a very small, close-knit community. Community. It's a, a large population as uh, the uh, belong to the Church of Latter Day Saints. So, um, and he. You know, from the get, what you see is he's just a very disciplined person just from, from a child, you know, and for him, it was all about family. It was all about faith and it was all about football. And he talks, says that several times. Um, and really his whole family is, it, it, it revolves around that. Um, and he, it, it, uh, one of the, the things that Lorena pulled out is that five years old, his father asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he said, I want to be the best. And so this was him, like you said, turns into this beast because he's just very this very driven guy and worked his ass off, you know, to, to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's who he was. Um, but he needed a scholarship. So he knew he wanted to play football, and he needed a scholarship, and he had tons of offers. He had, like, over 50 offers to play for, you know, all these colleges. And I guess a lot of his family members went to USC, Uh, something like that, or or he knew a lot of people that went to USC, or USC was their team or something like that, um, which is the University of Southern California. Um, And at the last minute, he felt he got a sign from God to go play for Notre Dame, which was like totally out of his wheelhouse, right? Yeah. Like a Polynesian guy at Notre Dame. (laughs) First of all, the weather, okay? (laughs) Let's talk about the weather. Right, yeah. (laughs) So... um, so yeah, but he went there, and uh, you know he he did like you said he did he did awesome. I mean, was it Bob? Do you remember like when he first got there and the games first started? Like, was that people really took notice of him right
2: away, or was it something that built up over time? Yeah, or was I mean, it like with, anticipated? Where was Notre Dame and the town excited to have him? Like, did they know who he was I don't,
0: before him? I don't know about that, but the, but I'm not as into. If, if my brother was on here, he would be able to answer that better. Cause he's like the guy that knows like, like I, you know, turn on the the season opener and watch him play and then start to figure out who everybody is. Um, but you know, he's one of the guys that is like paying attention to stuff like that, who the new people coming in are. But I can tell you by the time, he, you know, by his, his sophomore year playing, like he was, he was noticeable. Like he was, he was the guy on the, on the team that you look to hold the defense together uh, And Notre Dame and had several bad seasons uh, leading up to that. And he was like leading them, um, to a finally a winning season um, or to a, a very successful season. So so yeah, it was there was definitely a lot of hype around him. but it, but you know I had a, I, I still remember when we all thought at the end of his junior year that he would go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. He was that good and we everybody expected him, but a lot of people, myself included, had a lot of respect for him. but yes, he always said that football was a means for him to get his education. And so he decided to pass up these multi million dollar contracts in the NFL to finish his college education and stay for his senior year, uh, which turned out to be you know his senior year is when kind of his football careers then then fell apart because of the scandal. But yeah, he could have he, a year before that he could have walked away and went into the NFL. He was that good even as a junior,
1: right? Yeah, one of the things they show in the documentary is this opening game. So that would have been his freshman year. That was Notre Dame versus uh, it's mm-hmm. Wolf Pack of Nevada. And that was, I guess, their, one of their main rivals. I have no idea. One <laughs> their big rivals or something, big game, <laughs> something. I mean, it look, it was very exciting. I love watching, you know, just the clips that they showed. Yeah. It was very exciting. But, he, you know, that was that was the, kind of the first time he was on a big stage. It was like 80,000 people in the, the stadium. Yeah. And 80,000 people, really, at Notre Dame? That, that's huge. I would love to go to one of those games. That sounds awesome. <laughs> sounds like it would be really fun. But um, they said, you know, he, his reputation preceded him. So people, I guess, were excited about that game to see what he could do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he just became this huge star. And like you said, they had been going through a tough time, Notre Dame. They talk about that in the documentary. And so he was kind of their saving grace kind of. And also bringing the energy back you know, which is always important for mm-hmm. a team, right? Bringing the energy back to the crowds to come because we know that, you know, the, the people and the players, they feed off each other off that energy. And so it, it just became this, this whole thing and everybody was really excited about it. And that went on for, what, three years, right? Like three seasons he was playing. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So. and he was too. He was, a, he was a playmaker where, you know, it, it would be the game. Uh, I'm much you follow football, but, you know, it would be that, third and long situation where, you know, you you think that they're going to, that the, you know, the other team's going to get the first down or march down the field. And it was always Teo that would somehow break through the back, uh, through the line into the backfield and sack the quarterback or block the punt or do, it was like, he was always somehow the big playmaker Hmm. that got everybody excited and changed the momentum of games.
2: Yeah. I mean, that just sounds loved him. I mean, yeah. They were bringing Lays to the games and, Mm -hmm. you know, chatting his name and, you know, creating their own jerseys with his number and everything. So, yeah, people adored him. And then we find out. Yeah. Turned on him. Yeah. So really
1: his his uh, time at Notre Dame and his relationship with this online person started around the same time, pretty much at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about her about her. Um, so the person's name, the catfisher, who we're going to talk about is Renaya, which also goes by Naya. Renaya. T- okay. I wish I was Polynesian. I love these names, but they're super hard to say if you're not Polynesian.
0: Yeah, that's why I didn't even try.
1: <laughs> I know there's more than one. I'm just trying to figure out how many syllables are in there. Tuisa Sopo, something like that. There's, there's an extra syllable I always miss. Um, but anyway, went by the name Lene Kikua online, which is easier to say. Um, And also came from a very, uh, you know, a a Polynesian background, um, big football family. So her dad played for USC. Her uncle played for the Rams. Her cousin played for the Rams. And one of her her other cousins played for the 49ers. So, I mean, and of course, and one thing you need to know is Ronaya, by Ronaya, um, was male, was not a female. Um, but created this female persona, Linne Kakua, which was a female persona. Um, but you know, he grew up as a boy, and, and that's what <clears throat> that's what he presented as, as as a child and as a young man in his family. And they all expected him to also go into play football because that's what you do in their family, apparently. But he hated football. And um, but the other thing that ties him to Manti um is their is their faith right they also grew up in the church um you know around around church the whole family's around church um was also very active in the in the ministry uh in in their town I don't want to confuse anybody because we are going to refer to her as her because what you'll see in the documentary from the beginning of the documentary um she's now transgendered and she goes by Naya and um and so it's just, that's the way, you know, she presents and that's the way that the story is told. But just know that, you know, um, gender assigned at birth was male. And so we we know this. She knew from an early age that she identified as female. And that was one of the reasons that she created this online persona to be Linnae Kakua, Because she wanted to embody who she felt she was. But then she's connecting with people who believe this is who she is. And she doesn't tell them, hey, you know, I'm, I'm transgender or I identify as or whatever. She just goes by Linnae and basically presents herself as female. So that's, we need to know from the jump. Um, but she also had to find pictures of or something to present, you know, at, because she wasn't transgender yet at the time. She was still, you know, presented as a male. So she took the pictures and information from a, a girl she knew who was popular in her high school named Diane O'Meara. And she used her pictures exclusively to kind of show that, you know, this is her or put those pictures out like that. So that's kind of how that that she said, it was me with a different name tag, a photo, but as far as everything else, it was 100% me. And what she means is the things she would talk about and the things that she said she was interested in and, you know, how she talked to people was her But she was using an identity of somebody else, which is already right there to me. Fraud. Hello. You know, like I didn't like that, Mm -hmm. you know, because she she didn't use her name, but she used her likeness. She was taking her pictures from social media, using those as her own. Um, She said that this that this woman was a student at Stanford University. So, you know, made up all this stuff. Okay, so they connect in 2009, and and they it,
2: you can watch the documentary to see how all this, but it's all on Facebook, right? It's all over Facebook. And- this is, like, when Facebook first came out, so it was totally normal to, like, add people who you, like, once met um, from a different college, um, a different university, whatever, so she was randomly adding uh, different men. She would build a little bit of a relationship with them, and then as soon as they were like, hey, let's FaceTime, or hey, let's you know uh try to meet she would have to cut it off because you know obviously it wasn't the real person and she had seen that her and Manti had like a mutual friend it was one of her cousin's mutual friends and so she added him as a friend uh I think he actually was the first one that was like hey what's up and then she was like oh I know your cousin and then that's when Manti actually called his cousin was like hey like do you know this girl Blanae? and he's like oh yeah like I know Lene through Facebook. And so that's kind of how it happened. So already in h- Manti's head, he's like, oh, she's real. Mm-hmm. And then as they became, you know, more connected because background family and football, um, their faith was very similar. That's how they were really able to connect throughout the documentary. You'll see text messages between them where she's giving him advice like, hey, keep your head down. Make sure you're squatting lower, you know, really giving these in-depth, details of how to not only be you know a better person but also a better football player and that's where he says she was the whole package in one and that's why he really did fall for her in his head and gosh he was so young too you know he wasn't thinking like this could be fake he had a cousin vouch saying oh she's real and gosh she knows so much like she's got to be real there's no way this could be fake so this is also and you got to
0: remember the time you were talking 2009 no one was thinking that someone would be fake on the internet you know exactly. like the, the the whole idea of I mean there were there were people of course that were like you don't know who that really is in the other line but that was just like something you said you know but but you know the the tv show catfishing you know catfish hadn't come out yet like no one I, I don't think anybody in that time would think hey this person who my cousin knows that I'm really connecting with it's not even that they thought oh she's real but I don't think there would have ever been even a thought of whether or not she's real it would just be like, oh, somebody my cousin knows, and I hit it off with her, and that's it. I I certainly never would have questioned it back Definitely. then. Well, that, that's
1: Especially what I was, a
2: beautiful girl. That's what photos. I was.
1: Well, that's that was my next question because we 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 have a guy here, so I need to ask <laughs>
2: uh-huh. if you
1: were like, and and the thing is, what you guys need to understand is it wasn't just over Facebook. They were having phone calls. Okay, but. Let's just say it was just over Facebook and, and maybe a phone call here or there or whatever. And he is connecting with this person, like you said, Loretta, who has all of these similarities with him. And I'm just thinking, OK, it, would, would that be enough for a, a man to just say, hey, I just want to stay connected to this woman? I really like her. And, and even if you have a like a niggling kind of thing, like, nah, I don't know if this is real, that you would dismiss it? Or would it, would it be something that you like? No, I got to check this chick out and see if this is for real? Like, what would you as, as a guy? What, do you, what would your instinct be? I'm so far out
0: of touch. I'm so old. Listen, I was I was married 10 years before this happened. I was
2: married Years before, come on, Facebook Bob. You're still a man. You mean you met your wife in person before? Yeah, met, in um, person. Life? Yeah, this when this
0: happened, I had a four year old son. Uh, like, so I was so so I've never experienced this. I wouldn't know what the hell to do if I was like trying to be in the dating scene right now because cause there's no freaking way I'm getting on some app and I'm looking through. I just would like meet a person, you hit it off, you know. The good old days. Yeah,
1: yeah. Know that they're in in the flesh. They're real.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, granted, I was around. You know, I was in I was in high school during the uh, or or like a freshman in college during like the AOL Instant Messenger days, where you got on there and and oh yeah, chatted with people and and I remember like being at a friend's house who had AOL, and I remember go, like vaguely going into uh, they call them chat rooms where you could like go in with like some subject and like. Start, you know, chatting with people, and and then and then you could go on to instant messages. But that, that was like the extent of my online uh, dating, right there. Was <laughs> yeah, you know, forty five minutes in a chat room on AOL.
1: Yeah, but this is so this this becomes a problem because of course they're you know they're they're connecting online, never met in person um, for you know a couple of years. And, of course, Manti, like, you know, he's like, hey, when are we going to meet? When are we going to meet? I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. Of course, she starts getting a little nervous because that can't happen. Um, It blow, you know, blow up the whole relationship because he doesn't even know who she really is. So, um, so she decides to do something a little bit drastic. So, yeah, it was in 2011. He gets a text from supposedly Lene's cousin that says that Lene was in a car accident and got hit by a drunk driver and is on life support in the hospital. And, and to, okay, so this is a part where I'm with you, Bob, that come on, this is horrible. You know, what she starts doing is really horrible because she creates, I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, this happened or whatever. It's another thing that she's playing these parts of all these people, like the cousin calls him and puts him on the phone and he can hear just her breathing through a breathing tube and, you know, and he's talking to her every day because she's not responsive. And I mean, come on, how do you do that? How do you sleep at night knowing that you are, you know, I mean, this guy thinks that he really cares about you and, and you're pretending that you are basically on death's door you know, for, for days or, or weeks or whatever it is. I mean, that's just, that's another, that's at another level of being just yeah horrible.
0: But you, you know what? That's one thing that I were, what you had mentioned earlier, as far as the production of the documentary that I thought was, was great was the fact that this, this documentary wouldn't really have worked without Renea being part of it. Because otherwise, it, like, could you imagine if it was just Manti telling that story like still, people probably wouldn't believe him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, sure, you're going to say that's what happened, but I think that wasn't that was the, well, the great thing about this was the fact that Renee was a part of it too. And so what we got was that constant back and forth of every one of these stories you heard, Manti telling about the story and the Renea telling you know, confirming the story and then talking about why she did it and things like that. But um, I think that's what made the documentary so powerful, and and hopefully it had an impact on on Teo's life. Um, because like there's no question it's not like there's no question that either he's not making this crap up
1: mm-hmm.
0: she's there saying no yeah I did that that's what I did to him
1: yeah mm-hmm. right not only did she, you know she's trying to, to battle back from this car accident she's in the hospital at the same time she doubles down and then, and then says that or has somebody say or let him know that while she's battling in the hospital for you know after this accident that she also was diagnosed with leukemia I mean, why, mm-hmm. why, you know what I mean? What is going on here in this person's brain to, to want to yeah. do that? It's just, it's very, it's a very strange story. And it, I mean, she, obviously she's got a very complicated psychology going on. So, okay. So then she's going to make it right. But she's still healing up. She's out of the hospital. Oh, yeah. She's She's healing up all this kind of stuff. This around the time is when he, like you said, Bob um, says, he's going to stay for the senior year. At Notre Dame, um, and then he, but he, he, he start, he started to ask her more, like, oh, you know, I want to see you, to, I want to, you know, see you, whatever. Um, but then he starts getting a lot more, um, you know, busy with with football, and like you said, he's the celebrity, and he's getting called away a lot, and he's doing interviews and all stuff. And I think what happens is that she gets jealous, is that she gets jealous because he doesn't have as much time for her. Mm -hmm. And because that's what it sounded like. There was a little bit of a switch there. That's part of the documentary. Um, And so I think what she decided to do was, you know, she felt like she was losing him. She wanted to do something. She decided to do something drastic, which was even more cruel. And she fakes her own death. And it happens to be, and I don't know, it it doesn't say whether she knew about the fact that his grandmother had died that same day when supposedly she calls as his sister or somebody and says that she, she passed because she lost her battle with leukemia and she dies. And it was the same day that he learned that his grandmother had passed away. So now that becomes a story, right? That, my God, this guy lost both this girlfriend who was, you know, had this illness and his grandmother on the same day um, because he goes out and he plays that same day uh, Notre Dame versus Michigan State, right? And, because, and it becomes this big deal that he just was, you know, amazing on the field and everything. And at the same time, this happened. So now it becomes this huge story, which she didn't consider nobody would thought would happen. So do you remember that at all, that that game or anything about that? Was that something where you were you watching? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it was a huge. Oh, yeah, I was watching it.
0: Yeah. And I said, like, he was like, everybody already loved the guy. And then like, you hear that, you know, that all these horrible things happened to him and then, you know, he's going to go out and he's going to do, you know, play the game. It was like that Rudy S they always talk about, you mm-hmm. know, they keep talking about the documentary, like Rudy it was that type of Notre Dame, like Notre Dame, amazing, harrowing story. And then he went out and had an amazing game and it was, yeah. So it was like, it, it, it went real quick from that to everything falling apart right afterwards. Cause right. at that point we thought, he really did lose his grandmother, which he did. And we thought he really did lose his girlfriend at the same time and that he's still, you know, sticking it out and is going to play the game and be there for his team. And so everybody loved him to the moon and back by the end of that game.
1: Yeah. And it becomes it becomes this huge story that that not only gets, you know, it's not even just a college football story, but it's like a a nationwide story. You know, this is where people first mm-hmm. heard outside of this, you know, outside of Notre Dame or outside of this community that about Manti Teo, you know, really, outside of even football. Right. People just were like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. You know, he brings them to the national championships. Um, he is, you know, they're saying he's a no brainer to be the first a first round draft pick. Um, there he's a Heisman trophy candidate. It's this huge thing. And then of course he's you know, they're they're wanting to talk to him about this terrible lo- double loss that he had. So he's doing all these interviews and things like that. It just kind of happens. Sports illustrated, he's on the cover. I mean, it's just crazy. It becomes huge, a huge, huge, huge sports story and just a you know, just a, a, a feel-good, you know, survivor kind of story thing or whatever. Um, which of course somebody is going to say, wait a minute, that just sounds too good. Because, again, it's that whole football, like you said, the Rudy, the mythology around it, right, that it's like, oh, are they making this up because, you know, Notre Dame really needed this. They really needed this at that time. Yeah. Right. And so they start, so a couple of, you know, young journalists start thinking, well, this maybe, you know, let's check into this a little bit. Let's just find out. So they do. And these are, these were, uh, reporters for Deadspin, which was a, a sports blog, right? I guess they, they covered, you know, sports, sports stories, um, some pop culture that kind of came later, but it was mostly sports at the beginning. Um, and, but okay, here's the thing that I didn't get, and maybe you guys did, They said they got a tip, but we never
2: find out who that was. Who tipped them? Yeah, I tried to actually research that uh, last night because that was one of the main questions that I had too. Yeah, there was never um, any insight of who the tip was. Um, It just says, you might be interested in this story. Uh, Manti Teo is a hoax. Um, There was never a girlfriend. And so that's ultimately what this story is about, how people don't fact check and ESPN and like Esther saying, this story went from just, you know, all-star football player to this heartfelt feel good story nationwide. It was on CNN. It was on Fox news. It was everywhere. When you, you know, turned on your TV and the sports section came up, it was all about not just how great of a football player he was, but because of the dead girlfriend and the dead grandmother, um, nobody thought to fact check it or say you know how old was the girl, girlfriend or where did they meet how did they meet this is like where the documentary turns and it becomes more of the story of like no we weren't trying to go after Manti we were trying to go after ESPN and the big news companies for not mm-hmm. fact checking and getting their story straight right, right. so they did their due
1: diligence because they're journal- real journalists who actually did research and uh you know the first thing was I mean Obviously, come on, this person was in this car crash. We know the name. First of all, nobody by that name they could find. They Then they start doing reverse Google searches on the pictures and stuff, and they have to go through all these things to find out who this person maybe is, and they do finally find Diane O'Meara, um, and she didn't know anything, of course, about this. Um, so, oh, right before this thing breaks, for whatever reason, Lene decides to that she's not dead anymore and she's going to, and she says, Oh, you know, calls him. I, again, I think it all had to do with wanting attention, wanting his attention. And if she's, you know, it's over, she's got no point, part in it. And she says, Oh, it's me. And I don't even know what the hell kind of story you tell somebody to say, Oh, I thought, you know, was dead, but I'm not. And it, it, it's just so ridiculous. And of course his hand is like, what the hell's going on? You know, he's just like, mm. so that's kind of messing him up already. So then he's trying to figure that out. And then at the same time, this thing happens, you know, where, uh, somebody is now like going to expose this. Right. Um, and like you said, it happened within a couple of days. Uh, everything just kind of yeah. came out.
0: Well, the, the timing was really, if I underst- if I remember correctly and understood from the documentary, right. It was like, he had like a big press conference leading up to the bowl game or, or whatever, whatever it was before, before that game. And like, is like in the moments before that he got that foot, this phone call and was like, uh, well, now there's this person saying, it's not that I don't know what to believe. And that's what he was really kind of attacked for, I think was because he went and did that press conference mm-hmm. knowing at that point, they, you know, we, we, we think that he, that he knows, that she's not really dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think what was really going on was he was like, well, now I don't know. Like, certainly she, like, I think he thought, I, I, I feel like he thought that was the hoax, the person calling him saying no, that I'm still, yeah. but um, that makes the, more the, sense. The gets into that. Yeah, about I'm how right. he was just like so torn because he's going up to speak and like what was he going to say uh, i just got a phone call from my dead girlfriend and she's not dead
1: <laughs> Actually, like good i news. He just didn't know she's how to that. handle it yeah good news yeah. Yeah. oh my god so crazy so the alabama dynasty notre dame uh, national championship game which went very wrong because <laughs> again he's messed up in the head i don't know and also they said you know it just was a very tough game that was on January 7th, 2013, and so it was like a week later, on January 16th, Deadspin decides finally they've got everything that they need, and they, they published the expo. They, they, they did try to get, um, I guess, statements from the team or for him or whatever, but basically at this point, they're saying, you know, everybody's telling him just lay low, you know, because Notre Dame doesn't want to look like morons, right? Right. Right. So yeah. they're just, we, we don't know how to deal with this. We got to figure out what's going on and whatever. And they just, you know, waited too long and Dead Spin just said, we got to publish. So they published, they said, well, somebody else is going to find out. You know, so that's how it is in the news game. Um, and they, they published on January 16th this uh, this article saying, Teo's dead girlfriend, the most heartbreaking and inspirational story of the college football season is a hoax. And the journalists that wrote that were Tim Burke and Jack Dickey. And now they're, I mean, this just blows up and they're all over, you know, on everything. They're on Anderson Cooper. They're on, you know, everything and uh, talking about it. One thing you you said, Lorena, is about he goes, you know, he must have felt so, so alone. And he talks about that going into, he wasn't, they told him to stay, you know, stay put, but he went into the football facility to work out like he normally does. And he said, I walk in the locker room and everybody just silence, you know, this is his teammates, Mm -hmm. just, just silence. Nobody talks to him like I guess they don't have to say or whatever. And he's like, all right, well, I guess I'm on my own here. You know, like so much for, you know, band of brothers kind of thing. Like this is they don't know what to do with this and they're not going to be there. I'm going to have to figure this out. So the comments that come out, though, because people find out that Linnaeus is a man named so sopo, which I can't, so can't say. <laughs> not believe that because that's funny. Um, but, you know, and it's like, first of all, you know, fake, you know, fake. Um, and then the next, like, immediately was like, oh, he created this because he is secretly gay. And that, and that becomes a thing. Right. You know, uh, which... Like you said, Deadspin said there was no, We don't. That wasn't even at all our focus of this. Our focus was exposing the the big journalist outlets for this for sports like Sports Illustrated and ESPN who did not do their research, who just ran with the story and did not do their research. That's mm-hmm. who we wanted to make look foolish, not Manti. You know, um, of course, he's caught up, in it. So what are you gonna do about that? They start asking, you know, how could he be so naive? And but then I
0: don't, I don't know if I buy that. I think I think they. I think they wanted a juicy story. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like 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 I don't I don't buy for for a minute that they were like, This is gonna attack ESPN and and surely nothing will happen to Manti Teo. There's no they didn't think yeah. that. No. Like, they knew what they were doing. Give it, me a break.
1: Even if they even if they were, because I think there is some journalistic ego to say, Hey, we're this little yeah. blog and we got the story and you guys didn't even look, and so we're gonna make you look like idiots. But they had to know he was collateral damage. They had to know. There's no way.
0: Yeah, obviously, you know? yeah. And I and I and I've still I've always wondered if the tipster wasn't Renea.
2: I did herself. too. Renea. I did. We, that's what we were talking Who about. Who else you...
0: knew? Who else knew to be able to call in that tip to right. tell people? Like no if one. it was if it was like truly, and it seems like like she was like intentionally trying to hurt him. I think you're probably right. I think it was Esther you said like like there was some jealousy or something. Mm-hmm. But but this was no the way it was made out there was like, I was just looking for a way out. I didn't know what to do. No bullshit. Like she, she was intentionally trying to devastate and destroy him. Right. Doing all, you know, the, the car accident, the leukemia. And then, and then she died, Uh, you know, saying she died, you know, I, I think it stands to reason that it could have been her than to say, well, now I'm really going to embarrass him and call, you know, calling I, a tip so that now the whole world knows.
1: I could totally buy that, too. And one of the reasons I say that is because we said we're going to talk about you know, her before before we end is, and who, you know, what we really think about her, because what the next thing you see is that he's going through this this whole thing where he's just being ripped to shreds. You know, he's being ripped to shreds. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying, you know, he knew he's a fraud. He's this, he's that, he's the other thing. I mean, even it's just one of these things where they're just totally tearing him down. Okay. I'm sorry, but the, I have to bring up the part about the Dr. Phil show. The Dr. Phil show, <laughs> they show him. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, that whole uh, scene where you see somebody standing and you don't see who it is until he finally sits in the chair all slowly. It's Dr. Phil putting on his love, you know, and all that. I'm like, this guy's such a friggin' egomaniac, man. you <laughs> <I was like, laughs> would have punch him right in the face. Like, he's, he's enjoying this way too much. <laughs> Oh, my God. Hey,
0: somewhere, some showrunner created that scene in their mind, like, you know what, it'd be great.
2: Yeah, (laughs) place the camera.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we're (laughs) going to place this. We're going to be in a dark room and then sit down slowly. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. (laughs)
1: Because he, oh, God. And then she's on. Come on. I'm like, why? But that makes sense of you saying that she was a tipster. Why would she go on, you know, uh, to the Dr. Mm -hmm. Phil show unless she wanted that? She wanted that. She's like, oh, I wanted to tell my story. No, you think you wanted to be the story from the beginning. You know, there's something about that. Because one of the things, too, that she talks about in the documentary, because you were saying this, Bob, is that everybody was saying, well, wait a minute. How could she do all these voices? And that was one of the things they do in there is they he has her sit behind this thing and 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 like like doing a phone call as the female voice that he said, I, I you know, so, cause he had voicemails on his cell phone that he played that mm-hmm. sounded like a woman. And, and he's like, okay, Dr. Bill's like, no, that can't be you. That there had to be somebody else involved or something or whatever. And so she sits behind this thing and she, she does the voice and she's dead on, you know, and she, nobody, nobody would think it wasn't who she said she was. Right. Um, right. But when they start saying, oh, you know, all these different people and they're saying, oh, it had to be multiple people and all this. She sits there and I swear, I watched this like three times. I kept rewinding it. And she sits there and she is so friggin' proud of herself that she pulled off this hoax single-handedly. She said, it was all me. And she's sitting, you know, with her arms crossed, like it was me. Like, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, that right narcissist, man, totally into this Totally wanted to be the star of this whole, you know, thing. So that makes sense. What you said that she could have very well been the tipster for sure, you know, which well, it takes just, us to a whole nother level. When on this she story. says,
0: if what she's saying is true, that it was all her, mm-hmm. that no one else knew, like who else could have called right. it in?
1: Right. You yeah. know what
0: I mean? They're like they're, mm-hmm. no one else knew about it.
1: Right. Yeah. So yeah, maybe she just yeah she just uh off on the floor with the foot, but I don't know. But they didn't really like again. They didn't give commentary about this. Um, they just let her tell the story, which I l- I like because then I can think for myself and think, well, what do I think? Um, you know, and like you said, Lorena, his prospects after that point were greatly diminished. Um, he was not, a, you know, he was everybody's. He's going to be first round draft pick as twenty thirteen draft and didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody sh- people were shocked that you know he he wasn't. No. Um, he, you know, his second round he was, but you know, by that time, you what, how much, how much are you losing as far, you know,
0: millions, millions, millions of dollars yeah, after the first round of the NFL draft?
2: Yeah. Uh, to date, he's made, I think it's, he's made 10.4 million, and that's only a quarter of what he could have made if it wasn't for the catfishing scandal, because not only the draft, uh, pick, the, the round of the draft pick, where, cause, once you go from the first round to the second round, it goes from millions to like hundreds of thousands, but also all the endorsements. Not only did teams want, you know, him to play for them. Companies didn't want to work with him after all of this, especially, you know, when the whole rumor of him being gay and him knowing, uh, they just all backed out. Um, during this time, I don't know if you knew this, Bob, um, or if you remember this happening, um, Manti actually also witnessed a fellow student pass away um, during a football practice. He uh, was a media guy. He was up on a 50 yep. foot um, hydraulic lift and it was a windy day. And uh, the 20 year old Declan Sullivan fell off of the forklift and Manti Teo was there on the field when it happened. And he actually kneeled down and prayed with him. it <coughs> happened? Uh, do you remember that happening?
0: Oh yeah. I remember that vividly. Again, it happened right down the street for me. Um, It was an awful, awful situation. The guy was up, you know, filming for the, for the practice and on a windy day. And it was, it was really messed up because uh, it came out that he had literally, I think it was Facebook. He had like made a Facebook post while Uh, he he was up there or tweeted. Yeah. Minutes before it happened, something to the extent of like, I'm going to die up here because of all this wind. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then literally did moments later.
2: Oh, that's mm-hmm. awful. At 322, he said, just as practice was beginning, he said, gusts of wind up to 60 miles per hour. Yes. Well, today will be fun at work. I guess I've lived lo- long enough. And then at 4.06, um, he posted another tweet. Holy shit, holy shit, this is terrifying. And then shortly after he fell, and then... No. Yeah, God, but, that's horrible. So yeah, add that all on top of everything else that Manti is going through. He witnessed a fellow student who also was obviously part of the football family. He recorded um, yeah. football games and practices go through this and yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he sort he does, you know, starts playing
1: for the chargers and stuff, but he's heckled at every game. You know, he's heckled at every game, you yeah. know, there's all of these memes and, and, and things and making fun of him and the fake girlfriend, even if, you know, they, they, decided, I guess, after all of these things came out, when, when she came out and The Voice and all this, the, the calls and everything, it's like, okay, he's not in on it. But now they're just calling him, like you said, Bob. Now, now they switch to, oh, he's an idiot. You know, he's, he's, he's an idiot. Right. Um, yeah, and one of the things I was watching the end of this and I wrote at the end of the notes, is um, this came to my mind, is the only thing that people love more than a hero story is to tear down that hero. People love that. It's like, right. you know, it, it just... Yeah, it's like you only want to get so much attention and then you go above that and people cannot wait to knock you down. You know, it's like you want to be somewhere in the middle, in the sweet spot, right? You yeah. know, because it gets... It's
0: to- terrible too with him because he's... It seems like from all accounts, like he's just a pretty wonderful human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it was also good because, you know, I kind of forgot about this after it happened. So it was it was good to see in the documentary that he seems to be... Um, either I missed it or they didn't really get into exactly what he's up to nowadays. I did. I did Um, look it up. He's married now. Yeah. He's married. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: He, he played with, he he seems to be
0: doing well. I was glad about that.
1: Yeah. He played for the chargers in 2013 to 2016. He did have some injuries then. And then uh, he was with the new Orleans saints from 2017 to 2019. And then he played with the Chicago bears practice squad. And I don't even know what that is from 2020 to 2021. And he did play in one game, I believe, in one actual game. Um, and after that, I don't know if his football career is over. I didn't see anything else. Um, he got uh, married. He's a free agent right now. Oh, is he? Okay.
2: Yeah. So still with the NFL, um, he's still, I mean, getting paid through his contracts, but he's just a free agent. So he could be picked up by a team.
1: Yeah. He got married in 2020, in summer 2020. Um, and they had a daughter na- They named Hero, H-I-R-O. Hero, Hiro? 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 H-I-R-O, a year after that. So, uh, yeah, he says, you know, he's, he's happy and, um, you know, he's just a very motivated person, just, you know, uh, still very connected to his family and, you know, really leans on his faith to get him through. Cause he went through a lot of anxiety, he started seeing a therapist, all that kind of stuff to deal with all this. Rania, just to, to wrap it up, she moved back to American Samoa, and, uh, the reason she says that is because there's, she joined the LGBT community there, which she says is more widely accepted to be transgender. There is actually no designation for transgender, she said, um, in, uh, in American Somar and in Polynesia. So she's, it's very much, it's easier for her to live a life as, as trans there. So she was there for a while. Um, she now lives and works in Carson, California, which I think is where she was from originally somewhere in that area and, um, works. I mean, she lives with her mother, I believe. And, uh keeps a low profile. But, uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about her. I didn't like her. (laughs) I didn't like her. I didn't feel sympathetic for her. You know, I, maybe I would have, if she hadn't have taken it to this place, you know, and really ruined this guy who, like you said, by all accounts is just a great, you know, great person, just a great heart, um, and uh, one thing I did want to say, though, is one of the things that I think plays into this that they didn't talk a lot about, what you could see it in the documentary, is the, the expectation of his family, of who he was supposed to be, right? He's supposed mm-hmm. to be this very, I mean, just perfect person. He's supposed to be the, the best player, the good student. And man, talk about a lot of pressure. But I don't even think he recognized that. Because it was just such a part of who he was from from the get. But the yeah, I, I really did see a lot of pressure even from the family and his community from the beginning. And that had to play into all of this. Had to, you know. Um I don't know what that's like because I don't listen to anybody. <laughs> I do what right. I want. <laughs> You should do this. Ah, yeah, yeah exactly. should. Yeah, take your shoulds and shove them. You know, it's like we're podcasters, Bob. We don't. Have, we don't live in shoulds.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we do what we want. This is a, now, We are making this up as we go along. We don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's all
0: we. All we do. We, we have no boss except for the. Thousands of listeners that tell us what we do wrong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then if you, if you read the comments or if you don't, that's, that's on you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: So any last thoughts? Cause that was about all I had.
0: Uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me on and it was, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you did. Cause it, it, I don't do a lot of TV. So it, it, <laughs> it forced me to sit down and watch the documentary and the are the docuseries. And it was really good. I think everybody should, everybody should check it out because it's a, yeah. It's a really good story and it's, and it's nice to actually hear the other side of it.
1: Yeah. So just really quickly, I just want to talk about you, Bob, like what's going on with the podcast um, for the rest of the year. What do you got going for both uh, True Crime Binge and um, Truth and Justice?
0: Um, true Crime binge, is, is binge, as usual, we just have, um, we've got a lot of great guests. I think we have uh, Surudi and Hannah from Red Handed are coming up. I think we just dropped Jordan Bonaparte was on the the podcast but uh, on truth and justice, we're still working on a case out of Pinion Pines, California, which is near um, uh, Palm Springs, Coachella Valley area. Um, pretty horrific, triple homicide and arson. We've been working on the case actually since February, and we're still a long ways from finishing it. You know, truth, crime, or truth and justice is very long form, deep dive into potential wrongful conviction cases. So we are, we are about 35 weeks into that season and uh, don't even see the finish line yet. Pretty complicated case.
1: Um, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's very different. If you guys don't know, I'm sure I, a lot of my listeners do know truth and justice, but if you don't, it's a uh, very different from, from what I do, which is like one case a week. I mean, he goes, you know, really deep whole, whole, um, seasons. Uh, one case, wrongful convictions, and um, really doing some really detailed research. So, yeah, that's definitely something. It's funny because you're the ones called True Crime Binge, but I tend to binge Truth and Justice when I listen to Truth and Justice because you have more. <laughs> <Right, yeah. laughs> you want to kind of know what's going on and you don't want to wait. So, usually I'll binge those. Um, and uh, that way I can keep track of, of what's happening because it's a lot of times it changes from week to week when you guys get new things that come up or, or interviews or more information and then you kind of go back into the story and maybe look at it from a different angle. That's the way I kind of see it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's complicated. We do a, it, it, we are truly doing a real time crowdsourced investigation. So yeah, opinions change, new information comes to light every single week. It's an actual investigation. And yeah, it's always funny when people will tell me like, well, now you say that you don't think this person was a suspect when before you said they were like, right we got new information that has now <laughs> like led us down the path. But yeah, that's it's, it's definitely one you have to, you're not going to just pop in and listen to an episode of truth and justice. It's right. a, it's a ride. You got to be yeah. in for the whole season.
1: It's called an investigation. That's what you do. <laughs> you, uh, <Right. laughs> you have theories and then sometimes you, they fit and sometimes you throw them out because it doesn't fit the evidence. That's kind of the way it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing it right, I I would assume. Um,
0: that's the idea.
2: Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Bob, for clarifying that you did not go to school there and that you live there and giving right. the inside of the culture uh, just <laughs> surrounding the university and everything. And, yeah, we'll have to next time. I'm sure we'll have several more drinks yeah, going <laughs> for we'll the next meetup. For
0: sure. But thank you, guys.
2: Okay. Thanks, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you so right. much.
1: Thanks once again to my special guest, Bob Ruff. Check out both of his podcasts, Truth and Justice and True Crime Binge. Links to both are in the show notes. There are also links for the documentary Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist, which you can stream on Netflix, as well as an article detailing the Manti Teo catfishing case. Finally, I was recently a guest on Bob's podcast, True Crime Binge. That link is also in the show notes. I'll be back next week with the last episode of 2021. Can you believe it? <laughs> I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah or whatever holidays you celebrate with family and friends. Stay safe out there and until next time, be good to one another.